<laughs> Are you ready for the end of the world? This is your community spirit. How can we be live? We're supposed to be dead. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. Today is a lively day. This is the show about caring, sharing, and preparing for the changes needed in the world as we know it. Let's bring back the circle again. The circle of family, circle of friends, the circle of being. Wake up and be healthy and therefore wealthy to the peace and joy of Mother Earth. This is your community spirit coming at you on your community radio, 91.1 FM, community radio for Southern Illinois. My name is Trisong. Uh, this is Ord Energy Mon. I was kind of pausing there, so <laughs> I'm not too energized, huh? Yeah. Um, I just got a book in the mail that this book is the book that got me started on renewable energy. Well, actually, a magazine called Home Power Magazine. But this was the first product I bought. Mm. And it was called, it's called the Real Good Solar Living Source Book. And I don't know how many pages it is. It's like, well, here we go, 528 pages. I wow. mean, it's a tome. And it's, it's not a small book. It's like, you know, 8 by 11 size. Yeah. So it's like, I can't even fit it anywhere on my bookshelves standing up, you know. It's like an encyclopedia. Right. And, um, so they sent me, uh, the new edition. And it's been around for, well, it's been regularly updated since 1982. And I think I got my first copy like 88 or something like that. Um, it has everything. Before it just had renewable energy in it. Mm-hmm. Now it has sustainable living, period. It's got like, you know, composting toilets and uh, organic gardening and, and, um, and before it had a section of like, um, what do you call it? Like a catalog section where things were for sale in it. Now it's straight up just a book. Yeah. So, um, there is a section in the back of books for sale, you know, kind of, you know, information about other books you can get. But, um, I mean, the latest edition of the Solar Living Source book is just, I mean, I just flip through it and it's phenomenal. The only thing I would say would be better than this is Carla Emery's um, Encyclopedia of Country Living, mm. just because there's a lot of stories in hers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean it's like a thousand pages, and it has you know. So it's like that one plus the five hundred pages of stories. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, the real good Solar Living Source book. It is the fourteenth edition, but you know they've been they don't revise it every year, but they've been revising it since eighty two. So yeah. Just keep adding stuff in it. Um, so I thought I'd talk about it because I got a copy of it, and it's from New Society Publishers. So yeah, and I don't know if it's out yet. It doesn't say on here, um, but I suppose if it's not out yet, it will be out really soon. Yeah, so. and if it's not out yet, I'm sure the New Society Publishers site will have it. And if someone really wants to, I can loan it out. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. if you really want to learn about. Um, living off grid. I mean, that's the the premise of it. It's living beyond the grid with renewable energy technologies and sustainable living. Yeah. So that's the your complete guide to. Yeah. So as the zombie apocalypse I, comes, you'll be prepared. I don't see how it's po- well. Isn't that happened last weekend? <laughs> oh yeah, that was last weekend. I saw the zombies. <laughs> they were just like they were so cute. <clears throat> yeah. It was a lot of kids actually. Kids are kind of r- scarier because they get, 
you know, if they're faking like they're a zombie, they yeah. fake it well. They fake it well. They get into it, and it's it's creepy because it's a little kid. So. <laughs> just like so. <clears throat> all right. All right, yeah, we could get into the news. Uh, all right, this first story, will falling gas prices be bad for the climate? Oil prices are dropping, and while that might seem like good news for drivers, it could be bad news for our climate. Crude oil prices have hovered around $100 per barrel in recent years, but they've been steadily dropping for the last two months and may continue to drop. On Monday, Brent crude, I didn't know that crude oil had a name, but <laughs> Just like this, this type of crude, Brent crude, is the global benchmark for oil prices. It was trading below $85 per barrel. That translates into cheaper prices at the pump. Uh, they're saying the averages nationally were 349 per gallon to 321 per gallon, but I've seen it at below $3 here in southern Illinois. Yeah, 389 and then in Missouri yesterday it was 382 I mean, yeah, two. two. <laughs> so you're used to it being three. So they got you there. And it's just like, do you think right after the election it'll steadily go up? I wouldn't be surprised. There is that um, conspiracy people who say. Yeah. Because, um, anyway, so I mean, what is it? Um, Saudi Arabia is not, is pumping extra out right now to make it lower. Hmm. And they say it's to go against Ukraine to make it so that they're not making much money because of, um, you know, attacking. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of the fight in Ukraine has to do with the oil. But at this, you know, there. I mean, all we have to do is call up Saudi Arabia. Can you pump out an extra oil, little bit of oil for a month or so? Yeah, and they'll say, oh, sure, yeah, you, <laughs> you need some help with your elections. Here you go. <laughs> but here's a here's an important quote. Lower oil prices could pose a challenge for the transition to post-carbon sustainability says Anthony Pearl, professor at Simon Fraser University in British Columbia, who researches the intersection of transportation, cities, and the environment. Quote, I would liken it to hitting the snooze alarm on our wake-up call. The incentives for conservation and alternative energy will be reduced in the short term. I mean, the economic incentives are reduced, but there's still the incentive of, you know, not destroying our entire civilization, I mean, climate change. You know, Americans do get very, really excited when gas prices go down. And you think about it, it's only a couple dollars for us. Yeah. But one cent decline nationwide equals 1.2 billion. Yeah, in know. savings, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, um, I don't know. It's just Yeah. So, yeah, but it does lead to more gasoline burning and less investment in cleaner alternatives and technologies. Uh, it reduces that financial incentive to use less oil or switch away from it. I mean, that's one of the concerns, like it mentions here that fracking may have contributed to the, the drop in prices. That's one of the concerns people have about fracking is they say, you know, oh, this is going to be our bridge fuel. This will get us to a clean energy. But if you use, if it lowers the prices and then people never buy solar and wind and water because it's too cheap, right? then it's not a bridge fuel. It's a bridge to nowhere. I recently saw a map of uh, the U.S.'s uh, mass transit. Mm. And it, it's, you know, um, it's, it's possible to get across the country, mm-hmm. but it's not easy. Yeah. And that's because we have had historically very cheap fuel. Yeah. And our government subsidizes it, you know, well over 50%. You know, I mean, you go to any other country in the world, the prices are double. Yeah. So. We should be as concerned about climate change as we are about ISIS. 
Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel said Wednesday that one of the biggest long-term security threats to the U.S. isn't a terrorist group. Well, we should name climate change. Give it a name. I mean, you just said Brent. Yeah. <laughs> Brent, the oil, right? Um, yeah, we could come up with some name for it in a, in a you know different term for it or in a different be, language. And we should do that. I mean, just like st- start. What is that called? Um, where, where you change the wording and just like um, like reverse marketing. <laughs> I don't know. Now I can't think of yeah, what it's called. Yeah, like guerrilla marketing, or yeah, like guerrilla marketing, but um, where you just you you slip a new word into into um our vocabulary and mm-hmm. say there's this great threat, but don't say what it is, <laughs> and then slowly, slowly people start talking more about it, and then realizes it's actually climate change. <laughs> yeah, that that would be good. So, oh, well, I didn't say that <laughs> the security threat is climate <laughs> change. Yeah. Quote. From my perspective, this is uh, Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel. Quote, from my perspective, within the portfolio that I have responsibility for, security for this country, climate change presents security issues for us. This is critically important that we pay attention to this, Hagel said during remarks at the Washington Ideas Forum. Hagel connected the dots between national security and the conditions of the planets. The planet. <laughs> it's like, the planets, we, I was reading still. ahead because it says glaciers and yeah. I said I pluralized so yeah. glaciers are melting he said which increases the likelihood that a new waterway will form through the heart of the Arctic didn't it already do that <laughs> yeah I mean it's basically there it's not there year round but so that means new exploration for resources like oil and natural gas a prospect that is already attracting attention from world powers he said quote there's a security dynamic to that. As the oceans increase, it will affect our bases, it will affect islands, it will affect security across the world. Just from my narrow perspective, what I have responsibility for, that's happening now. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, I would actually go further and say that uh, it's more of a threat to climate change, but just the fact that his... You know, his job isn't to reflect on environmental issues, you know. His well, job yeah. is to consider national security. Well, but I mean, in climate change, there's nothing you... It's just going to get steadily worse. Yeah, there's no so stopping it. So it's like any other s- security threat. You can make a plan that can deal with that threat and, you know, potentially stop it. Yeah. Climate change, at this point, we really can't stop it. It's going to happen. Yeah. It's just how prepared are we going to be for what's going to hit us. Yeah. It's so like, it's like, you know, if you learn how to defend yourself mm-hmm. when someone tries to hit you, there's less chance of them trying to hit you. Yeah. And there's still a lot of, you know, preemption we can do where there's some consequences we can't avoid. We have to teach politicians Tai Chi. <laughs> yeah. So they can deal with things coming at them. Yeah, they can go with the flow. <laughs> Actually, I, they probably pretty much know verbal Tai Chi. You, you <laughs> ask them a direct question and they deflect it. Yeah, verbal Kung Fu. <laughs> Just like... <laughs> so... Yeah. So, yeah, our national security there. Oh, this next story just makes me sad. Yeah, this makes me kind of sad, too. But it's since Election Day is coming up next week, I thought this was a good one to talk about. And you can vote right now. Yeah, you can vote early, vote often. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, it's uh, young voters like candidates who favor the environment but may not show up to vote. Now, the candidates won't show up or the young voters? (laughs) The candidates will probably vote, although some of them are so lazy, (laughs) you never know. They won't vote for themselves even. 
But yeah. That would suck if you got up there and you didn't get a single vote. Yeah. You didn't even vote for yourself. You didn't vote for yourself. You're like, oh, I forgot it was today. <laughs> oh. But yeah, young voters are much more likely than senior citizens to say they'll vote for candidates who support cutting greenhouse gas emissions and boosting renewable energy, according to a poll released Tuesday by the University of Texas at Austin. 68% of people under age 35 said they were more likely to vote for a poll for a political candidate who backs measures to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, while only half of the respondents over age 65 said the same. I wouldn't say only, because it says half. Yeah, it says half. So, you know, 51% is a majority. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, even if you're saying, you know, 65 or over, half of them... So we just have to get like two more percent and then be majority of them. Yeah. So see how I can manipulate the polls? <laughs> so if it's like 51, the majority of people over 65 wants a green candidate. Yeah. There you go. See? That's good to know. I just like. I, I hope our politicians know that. <clears throat> but yeah, uh, more than 60% of the younger cohorts say they wanted a candidate to expand incentives for renewable energy and wanted them to endorse policies. <coughs> Excuse me requiring utilities to draw a certain percentage of power from renewables. Among voters over age 65, only 48% said they were more likely to vote for a candidate based on these two statements. The poll also found that older voters were more likely to say they planned to actually vote, which is consistent with previous surveys. 87% of voters over 65 planned to vote on November 4th, while 68% of the voters under age 35 said they did. Still... Yeah. High number. It's still more than half. I mean. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> but I mean, that's the interesting thing is, you know, what percentage of registered voters vote? Yeah. And then what percentage is someone win from the people who vote? Yeah. And I mean, some of the things it's like less than 20%, you know? Yeah. So I mean, you, like half of the people vote and then t- the winner of them only gets, you know, 20% of the vote. So it's, it's, it doesn't take much to shift, you know. Yeah. Well, that's what they would like you to think. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. <laughs> there's something happened like called Al Gore's. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Al Gore got the, the popular vote and that actually would have won the recount too if they'd actually done the recount. <laughs> I mean, how many people you think now no longer vote because of that debacle? Yeah, I've, well, I've heard some people say they vote differently because of that, and it's, I mean... No, but I mean, how many people just say it doesn't matter? Yeah, That they just, they just won't vote anymore. Yeah, we've got low voter turnout, especially with midterm elections. I mean, people are like, oh, the president isn't running? I'm not going to vote. But but there's all these other issues going on. Of And local, local, you know, voting is more important than national voting. Yeah, I mean, we've got ballot initiatives in Illinois. We've got, you know, state representatives, local offices. I mean... There's plenty to do on uh, November 4th. I I wonder how many will turn out and vote. I guess we'll find out. Colorado's fracking regulators aren't regulating. Do I have to read this? Because this is true. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this kind of stuff. But it's... (laughs) It's not entirely news, but (laughs) there's evidence of it is the latest news. (laughs) Earlier this year, we talked about Hector, the seven-year-old deputy sheriff in Alice, Texas, and the Andy Griffin of environmental sleuthing. That's a pretty good... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, nobody told him to go after fracking-related crimes. His investigations were an extension of his own curiosity and then annoyance that state regulators weren't doing anything with the information that he gathered. 
Ultimately, he went to the archives and dug up some 100-year-old state laws that he was able to use to prosecute polluters anyway. Now a new study by Tara Obsel and Tara O'Connor Shelley, two sociologists at Colorado State, suggests that hectares of this world are pretty rare in the landscape of the fracking boom. Both researchers specialize in something called green criminology. I bet that's a burgeoning field. Yeah. And it just like, well, it's like my idea of CSI fracking, you know. <laughs> just like, so, you know, more or less, that's what they do. How societies respond to environmental crimes. In this study, they downloaded 2,444 individual oil and gas related complaints from a database maintained by the Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission. They began trying to contact the original people who had submitted the com- complaints. Of course, not all com- included contact. And managed to set up interviews with 65 of them all over the state. What they found were a whole lot of frustrated people. Many of them didn't have a problem with fracking per se, but did feel that the state regulators who had responded to their complaints had not done a solid job of investigating them. Often participants said the official records misrepresented their experiences. One couple, Rick and Jenny, said they'd come home to find their cows refusing to drink from a water tank because the water had become milky white. Oil and gas development had just begun nearby, so they contacted the COGCC, which was that, you know, oil and gas conglomerate commission thingy. Mm-hmm. It's a thingy. So yeah, they contacted thingy. them to complain. A representative hydrologist came out and acknowledged a visible problem, but the report reads as though the hydrologist wasn't concerned about it. Rick and Jenny were told the changes they saw in their well water, which they described as looking milky or muddy, sometimes effervescent or oily. Isn't effervescence like a good word? (laughs) It means smelly, right? Yeah, smelly, not in this case. (laughs) And smelling like rotten eggs, sulfur, or hydrocarbons were caused by naturally occurring methane or failure to do proper maintenance on their well. The state of environmental crime reporting and follow-up in Colorado isn't universally awesome. Most things in Colorado are awesome. (laughs) And some would-be whistleblowers are left negotiating an enforcement system that's more of a cynical film noir than the Andy Griffin show. Allegations like this are worth investigating further. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's interesting. Well, I like this idea of, you know, uh, environmental green criminology... (laughs) Because people are committing environmental crimes, uh, so it makes sense to have a field dedicated to that. But it's also good that they actually looked and, and followed up and researched with some of these people. Because it, it's easy to say, you know, like, oh, they don't listen to our comments. But then it helps to back that up with evidence. Like, saying, yeah, here's, like here's 65 people. They We interviewed them. They really didn't have their comments responded to. <laughs> That's some evidence, you know. Alright, now here's, here's a good Halloween related one. <laughs> but it's, it's really good for any day of the year. How to eat local during the zombie apocalypse. Can we just say apocalypse? For, yeah, the apocalypse uh, in general. Climate apocalypse, zombie apocalypse, uh, the aliens invade apocalypse. Have you actually <laughs> been watching horror movies? Uh, I actually haven't yet. I plan on doing it this weekend. I try not to. Yeah. But uh, I'll probably go to that Rocky Horror thing. Oh yeah, yeah, that's Rocky Horror is fun. Yeah, there's, and it's a play in Marion, live, an actual play, and then you can see the movie here in town, so. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, and I, I have been watching The Walking Dead, that's the closest I've come so far. But then horror movies this weekend. But admit it, a lot of you have been watching too many horror movies this week. Which means you've probably also been planning your survival strategy for the inevitable zombie apocalypse. 
While stockpiling ammo and antibiotics is all well and good, have you thought much about your menu? With probable months of blood-soaked terror ahead of you, you're going to want to make sure you're not facing the interpersonal and existential stresses of the apocalypse on beer nuts and Twinkies. They will last. They will last forever. (laughs) And there are some zombie survivors who do like Twinkies. But uh, it's better to have some healthy food sometimes, every now and then. So just in time for these seasonal visits of hangry undead, hangry like hungry and angry, Hangry Undead. That's pretty good. I like that. Yeah, I I like that term. I get hangry sometimes. (laughs) But I'm not a zombie. But Modern Farmer's Kathy Barrow comes to our rescue with a how-to guide for stocking your own plague bunker with home-canned local goodies. Here's a quote from her. Friends would wander into my basement and gasp. They snickered. They questioned my sanity. Lined up against the three walls, the heavy-duty steel shelves packed with jars of home-canned food looked like the contents of a fallout shelter or the home of a hoarder. What do you do with all this food? And I see you're ready for the zombie apocalypse. And I'm okay with that, because I live with the security that my pantry is filled with food that comes from farmers I know, in jars that can sustain us all winter long. Barrow processed a whole 300 pounds of tomatoes. That's a lot of tomatoes. I mean, 300 pounds. Well, if you cook it down, it's probably a quarter of that. Yeah. Take the juice off. Yeah. But still... It's a lot. Yeah. I mean, I've done like a couple bushels, and so that would be like 50 pounds. Yeah. I think maybe 25 a bushel or something. So not only 300 pounds of tomatoes. And I mean, it says enough to last her through the year. So, I mean, you want to figure out how much you use. Yeah. I mean, if you eat a lot of spaghetti and, you know, sauce, I mean... Yeah. It's not that much. If you eat a lot of pizza, for example, (laughs) just a random example there. I mean... You know, how many quarts, you know, if it's, I mean, I have no idea. I haven't even done the math, but she's, <laughs> she's obviously done the math. She also did uh, corn, beets, soup, jams, relish, chutney, and even fish. Yeah, you heard that right. You can actually do fish that way. You can do any kind of meat, but. Uh, yeah, you just got to do it right. So fish, it's ridiculously straightforward. You just pack a jar with raw fish, cover with water or olive oil, and then pressure can it. Yeah. So. So basically what we're saying is a pressure canner is now right on our Halloween preppers list right along with chainsaw, bayonet rifle <laughs> for the zombies. The only thing I were worried about is we're on an earthquake fault and so people who can, you know, could just oh, like yeah. lose all of their stuff in one earthquake. Yeah. That is a good consideration. You know, you could pack it in a way so that if there's an earthquake, I mean, if it's like a 10 on the victory scale, there's nothing you can do. Right. But if it's a four or five, you can make sure it's not going to just fall right off the shelf. Or right. So, but I definitely <clears throat> like having the security of not worrying about at least a couple months worth of food. I mean, yeah. Well, we get things like the polar vortex, you know, where we get stuck inside for a few days a week. It's good to have some food, you know, plan ahead for at least a few days. Yeah. Food and water. So today's holiday is Carve a Pumpkin Day. Hmm. Oh, that's no surprise. <laughs> it's just like, it's also Frankenstein Friday. This last Friday in October, which falls on Halloween this year, but normally it doesn't. Yeah. And of course, it's Samhain and Halloween. Yeah. It's also Increase Your Psychic Powers Day, but I'll bet you knew that already, didn't you? <laughs> just like... <laughs> um, Sunday is All Souls Day and Devil Eggs Day. Ooh. It's like... Monday, Housewife's Day and Sandwich Day. Ooh, 
the husband better make a sandwich that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, like, <laughs> yeah. Tuesday is King Tut Day. Should have won a Grammy. Wednesday is Guy Fox Day and Gunpowder Day. Do you think those should go together? <laughs> yeah. Like, I think they're related. <laughs> remember, remember the 5th of November. Thursday is Marooned Without a Compass Day. And Saxophone Day. So if you're stuck somewhere without a compass, just play the saxophone. Keep yourself company. All right. Um, some happenings? We live in a happening town and a happening region. I don't know if you know this, but the Bucky Dome... There's now a Bucky Dome sculpture above the Labyrinth Peace Garden by Gaia House Interface Center. And it's pretty, um, it's pretty cool because that same sculpture was made using the same metal geodesic frame that stood over the R. Buckman Fuller Dome home for years while they restored it. Yeah. And so I think that isn't the dome home here in town the only, you know, built by design and lived in home of Buckminster Fuller? I think so. I think it's the only one standing, you know. Well, because there, there was the one at, at Guy House itself, there was the Synergy, which was originally a residence, but this, the one on Forest is where he lived. And so, it's very historic. So yeah, so this is over the labyrinth and it's above where Synergy used to be. Yeah. So it's synergistic. Yes, very synergistic. So it's, so you can go ahead and check that out and you can walk the labyrinth and read all about it in the brochures and, it's and, a good time. And there will be a lot of events coming around that dome. Yeah. And actually, the, you know, they have stars on Main where they like on the sidewalk. The only star on Main they've ever put in so far, they're talking about reviving the program, but yeah. the only star on Main is on the sidewalk and it says R. Buckminster Fuller. Yeah. And it's right next to where the dome is now. It is. So if yeah. you're walking down the sidewalk and you see, and you see that, <laughs> look to the side and you will see an actual dome now. Yeah. So history has come back full circle. Yes. Bucky's alive and well in Carbondale. Now inside the Carbondale Community Farmers Market. This is the first Saturday that they're inside. Yeah. Inside the Carbondale Community High School. And so it's the north entrance of the high school. Saturdays 8 until noon. The Carbondale Community Farmers Market provides a place for community to gather, meet the faces of agriculture, and get the tastes of all Southern Illinois. Hmm. And then, um, what do you call it? They usually have music, and of course, I'm sure, because it's Halloween, they'll have something for the kids. Hmm. They always have something for the kids. There's usually a booth there just for kids. Yeah. So, you know, bring your kids, and there's something for them to play and learn. So Yeah, which is good. It's good to bring kids to the farmers market so they learn all about where food comes from. What? Yeah, you, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it doesn't just appear on the shelves. But it's a busy Saturday. I mean, if you, if you're lucky, you could fit all this in. But coming up on Saturday from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., there's the second annual craft and bazaar sale. That's over at Epiphany Lutheran Church, 1501 West Chautauqua in Carbondale. The Peace Coalition monthly vigil Saturday at noon at the Townscore Pavilion. The vigil will be followed by the monthly meeting at Cristados. In the spirit of Halloween, All Saints Day, Day of the Dead, the f- vigil will feature signs that play the themes of violence and militarism that Peace Coalition has long adri- drawn attention to. Um, that's Saturday at noon. Um, now, I wanted to mention the great Carbondale pumpkin race. Oh, yeah. I actually have two pumpkins that are going to race in it. Hmm. And that'll be at the... Um, 
underpass, the Mill Street underpass. They'll close the road. <laughs> There'll be three things. There'll be the Great Carbondale Pumpkin Race. Mm-hmm. Um, you actually have to put a hole through a pumpkin. Yeah, you I know, was say, how does it's it hard <laughs> to make those wheels. You have to put two axles, and they have to be straight. Oh man, it took me a long time. Yeah. So, yeah. and I haven't had a chance to race it because there's not many places downhill here to try it out. And I'm not going to go over to Millet <laughs> Street until they yeah. close it. <laughs> and then there's also a costume contest and a pumpkin carving contest. Yeah. So just like mill around the Mill Street underpass and see that that will be Saturday, um, like three o'clock, and then the races start at four. Yeah. But the other stuff. It's a good time. Here's one you may have heard about. It's the 18th annual WDBX Costume Ball. What's that about? Oh, it's about good times. It's coming up tomorrow, Saturday, from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. over at the Garden Grove Event Center, 1215 East Walnut. But if people come, they might see us. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, you know, we have faces made for radio, so I don't know <laughs> if people want to actually see us well, if or they, meet us. Yeah, if, if all their favorite DJs are in costumes, they might not know who's who. You know, that's part of the excitement of a costume ball. There you go. They hear our voices, though, they'll know because they listen to No, them. I have a radio voice. My voice doesn't sound like this ever. Yeah, my voice actually sounds like this when I know. <laughs> don't, don't, don't let them know what your voice sounds like. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, um, Sunday, so that's Saturday night. Sunday, November 2nd, is the Day of the Dead art exhibit discussion and reception at the Morris Library Rotunda. And so, um, that's two to five. And there's a great exhibit. You can go see it now, but the reception is Sunday, two to five. Yeah. And it looks like we're pretty much out of time, so I'll just say a couple quick ones here. The Pay It Forward Women's Center fundraiser is happening on Tuesday at S&B Burger Joint in the University Mall. They're donating their proceeds to, a portion of their proceeds to the Women's Center, and people from the Women's Center are gathering there to celebrate the 42nd anniversary. And also, the Transphotic Playground is coming up on Tuesday at 8 p.m. at Guy House Interfaith Center. Good deal. I hope to see you guys around this weekend. It's a jam-packed weekend of goodness and um, lively goodness, even though people are going to have to try to act like they're dead, right? Yeah. <laughs> They'll be very lively out there, even if they're in dead costumes. They will be alive and well and having fun in Carbondale and Southern Illinois. Will do. We're on the internet at yourcommunityspirit.org. Send us an email at info at yourcommunityspirit.org. Yes, and we will see you here next week on the radio.